Welcome to HipCast, the podcast to improve hip fracture care. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Australian and New Zealand Hip Fracture Registry acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. For this episode of HipCast, we're delighted to share a presentation by Professor Xavier Griffin on quality of life after hip fracture, recorded at the Australian New Zealand Hip Fracture Registry Binational Hip Festival in October 2022. Professor Griffin spearheads academic orthopaedics at Queen Mary University of London and Barts Health, having joined as the inaugural chair of Bone and Joint Health. His vision is for world-class excellence in research and clinical academic training, providing opportunity for the next generation of clinician scientists to realise their aspirations. The link to the publication discussed in the video recording of this presentation can be found in the episode notes or on our website, anzhfr.org backslash hipfest2022. Hi everyone, it's great to be back. I did my fellowship here actually, so uh, it feels a little bit like I've sort of come back home. Um, although it is worrying how many years have passed since I was last here. So I'm going to talk about quality of life uh, after hip fracture, which has been a big interest of mine for several years. Um, but it's not just my interest. You know, good research and good uh, audit and good quality improvement is a big team sport, as everyone in the room kind of preaching to the converted on that one, I'm sure. Um, and the work that I'm going to present really brings in many, many people across the whole of the UK, many different trials units and universities. Now, most of the work I'm going to present is all contained in one manuscript, which is free to access online, so you don't have to pay for it. There's no firewalls. So, hopefully, this is my talk in two minutes. A broken hip is the most common serious injury in older people. It often reduces people's ability to walk, and they may lose some of their independence, which reduces their overall quality of life. So we're always looking for ways to improve treatment and care. Doctors, nurses, physiotherapists and other healthcare professionals recommend seven aspects of care which they feel are really important for the recovery of people with a broken hip. These include having surgery to repair the bones as soon as possible and being helped to start walking again on the first day after surgery. However, no one really knows how much difference each aspect of care actually makes to a person's recovery. We ran a large study called the World Hip Trauma Evaluation, the WHITE study. The study ran in 20 NHS hospitals in England. More than 8,000 patients with a broken hip aged 60 years and over took part. We included people both with and without memory problems. We checked if patients received each of the seven aspects of care and worked out which ones made the most difference to a person's recovery. We asked patients or their family to tell us about their quality of life after they left hospital, if they were living independently and how well they were walking. Overall, people recovered best if their hospital was able to provide all seven aspects of care. Each contributed to improve recovery, but the three most important were admission under the supervision of both a surgeon and a doctor who specialises in the care of older people, checks to reduce the likelihood of falls and broken bones in the future, and checks for memory problems before and after surgery. In our study, all seven aspects of care were delivered for only just over half the people with broken hips. We concluded that more people would make a better recovery if everyone received the seven recommended aspects of care. Where possible, 
hospitals should prioritise the three most important aspects of care. Okay, great. So now you all know the answers. So this should be like a little revision session. Um, so I'm going to delve into a couple of questions. And, and it was really exciting to see what the registry is doing in terms of PREMS. Um, we, we did some similar work, but we were really focusing on patient-reported outcome measures uh, in terms of scores. And, and to hear other people reflecting that trying to incorporate patients and, and members of their family and their carers' voice into the work we do was refreshing because we spent a lot of time talking about mortality and uh, outcomes after surgery. But when we spoke to patients, and we did this in quite a, um, quite a formalized way with semi-structured interviews, uh, Francis led this way back in 2015 now, um, actually patients don't care about any of the same things that we might think that they care about. It was all really around returning to an independent means of life and to preserve that, their quality of that life. And so when we brought together a bunch of methodologists in the second phase with those patients and we talked around those ideas that they expressed, they were very clear that actually the things that we felt that we could reasonably measure in terms of health domains were around quality of life as the principal standout thing and secondarily mortality, pain and independence, so in ADLs and, and independent mobility. These were the things that people told us, certainly in, in the UK, were important to them after their hip fracture. No one cared what the x-ray looked like. I was appalled. Um, but uh, that's what they said. I just don't think they'd seen the x-rays I had. Was... So we had to figure out how we were going to measure quality of life. So we're going to focus in on quality of life. EQ5D, so Euroqual Five Dimensions, is basically no better than tossing a coin at predicting whether you're going to have revision surgery or not. But death is actually quite well predicted by uh, EQ5D, both at baseline and early outcomes in the first month or so. And for those of you who are into your stats, the, the area under the curve there is 0.72, so that's sort of a moderate uh, predictor. And then in the middle, there's lots of scatter plots, and what they are is a, um, a bunch of scores that we took simultaneously with EQ5D. So we looked at things that people like me really focus in on, like disease-specific functional scores of the hip. The Oxford hip score was the one we used. And then another interesting score that was developed at the University of Birmingham called ICECAP, which is all about your capabilities. So to what degree can you do the things that you want to do? And what we found was um, EQ5D really predicted all of the variability in those scores and was a much more simple score. And the patients all told us that they much preferred it because it was briefer, quicker to complete, and much more straightforward. And then we were a little bit concerned that we ought to be able to capture data from people that had cognitive impairment. You've already heard how common that is, and it's common to all of our clinical practice. And so we wanted to see that the patterns reported by proxies, so carers or relatives, were similar. And the pattern's very similar, but not surprisingly, those with cognitive impairment uh, were a little bit more frail, so their scores overall were lower. So we felt EQ5D was a really great tool. But this probably is one of the most important plots for why we chose EQ5D in our big study. And what you have here is you have a baseline. So unfortunately, we can't predict when people have their hip fracture, so we're not able to ask them true baseline. So this is retrospective recall of how they were before they came into hospital. And over time, out to one year, um, 
The dotted plot is, is a special way of uh, including people that have died using EQ5D. So the way EQ5D is calculated, uh, the scores from it, if you've died, you can impute at zero. So the, the score is anchored at a zero point. Negative scores indicate that it's a quality of life worse than death. And you can see that immediately after fracture, when you're in a lot of pain, very confused as to what's going on, uh, lots of information hitting you very fast. You can't get out of bed. You can't even roll over in bed without being in agony. That feels being the worse than death. And you do recover, but you don't recover anywhere near to your baseline. The decrement that you have out to a year where you start tracking age-related decline again, that decrement is equivalent to a major MI or a stroke. Um, so hip fracture really is a colossal impact, as we all know. But here's the data we can take to our funders uh, as to why we can prove it now. Okay, so what do we take, what do we do with that? Well, we set up an observational study in the UK, the white study, which you heard about in the video, and we followed the NICE guidance. So we just did standard care. So there was nothing flash about the care that we we're providing. We were trying to track care across all of these hospitals that you can see. And we used a similar data collection framework that we have in our National Hip Fracture Database. And we... The really special thing about this study, which we don't have in the database and our registry back at home, is we collected EQ5D at baseline and at four months. And you can see EQ5D is a sort of slightly quirky score. It's got these negative scores. Zero means equivalent to death, and one is perfect health. And a, a clinically important change that patients at an individual level can pick up is in the ballpark of 0 0.05, so quite small numbers, but we had 6,000 complete sets of data um, because some people died, some people didn't give us baseline data, and it took us a little while. And one of the things we were interested in working out was to what extent do our quality standards, which were attached to funding to drive change in the UK, how do those quality standards track to outcome that patients have told us is important? to quality of life, not to x-rays, but quality of life. If you achieved best practice tariff, quality standard, numbers one through to seven, you lay on the right-hand side of the line, so that's yes. On the left-hand side of the line is no, and that tells you whether or not they were favored their EQ5D. And you can see everyone, as the video said, everyone trended to doing better if the best practice tariff was achieved. So all the dots lined up on the right-hand side. But the, the ones that turned out to be statistically significant uh, were numbers two, six, and seven. So for those of you who can't remember, that is all the things that have got nothing to do with surgery, essentially. <laughs> so it's being jointly assessed by a multidisciplinary team where you're admitted. I, you know, we've got a specific way of measuring that in the UK, but I don't think that's important. You need a joined up multidisciplinary team meeting the patient in ED and then looking after their care throughout. You need someone to think about future falls prevention and bone health. Doesn't matter who that specialist is, but they need to assess those things. And then I think the, the other is pre- and post-op delirium assessment. I'm not sure that that in itself is the key thing, but it's a label that people are thinking about delirium in your care and are looking to assess you for risk factors beforehand, do something about it, and then tackle delirium in the post-op phase. If you do those three things, then you generate an enormous 0.1 improvement in quality of life. So the subset of patients that had all three of those ticked had a really, really substantial improvement in their quality of life that was both statistically significant, but probably more important, really clinically relevant. Much bigger than a stroke unit, for example, in terms of impact.
So I'm going to leave it there. But thanks ever so much. <laughs>